As one of the world's most televised conflicts rages on, Western countries look to utilize a weapon that is forged by economists. Sanctions. Sanctions. The economic sanctions leveled against Russia by the U.S. and its allies are the harshest ever handed down. The sanctions imposed on Russia are some of the largest and far-reaching the world has ever seen. With Western countries and international corporations completely cutting ties with the once major emerging economy, nation has been slapped with a series of sanctions aimed at crippling its economy. Yeah, those same sanctions have multinational companies re-examining how they do business. Aviation withdrawal from Russia, we're seeing port access to Russian ships or Russian-controlled ships being denied across the EU, UK, other jurisdictions. We're seeing whole supply chain um, disruption. But is this economic weapon really working? Well, as the conflict in Ukraine rages on, Russians are dealing with some hefty international sanctions levied against the country. But the sanctions seem to be having little effect right now. The uh, Russian government still has access to uh, a lot of you know, foreign exchange earnings from energy sales around the world. Thanks to the pandemic, sanctions can exacerbate the issues that already trouble the global supply chains. Well, there's no doubt that these sanctions have been a contributing factor to uh, record high oil prices and energy prices and increasingly also food commodity prices around the world. Here at Things Have Changed podcast, we've sat down with our favorite economist, Professor Seth Benzel. He's done some important and extensive research on assessing how effective Western sanctions would be on the Russian economy. One important note is that Seth worked on this with a team of Russian economists at the Gaidar Institute, a major center of economic research and training in Russia. On this first episode, we talked about why would sanctions be prescribed and how exactly it would play out in the Russian economy. If you had known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed, and we're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. So, you know, we have a lot of listeners that live in countries that haven't really experienced what sanctions are like and don't really know, like, you know, how how would it affect them? Could you run us through, like, one of the use cases where you've spent time on to understand this one sanction or these set of sanctions um, in Russia? And how did that kind of, you know, use that to kind of explain what sanctions are and how it affects the normal day of average person? Sure. Okay. So before I get into kind of my particular simulations, let me take a step back and just let's talk for a minute about sort of the theory of sanctions. And I don't claim to be any sort of special expert in this, but like, what are we trying to accomplish and how do, you know, the pieces connect to that? So I would say that there are two sort of main motivations for sanctions. If we're talking about like utilitarian reasons, you might imagine a third reason, which is just uh, you don't want to do business sort of deontologically with people who are doing bad things. And maybe, okay, so well, actually I'll keep that because I do think that's an interesting one. So maybe there are three reasons why you might want to sanction the country. So reason number one is 
you actually want to degrade the military capacity of that country, right? So if you don't want a country to shoot missiles at a third party, don't sell them missiles, right? Uh, and then all the way down through sort of dual-use technologies that could be used in either civilian or military applications. Um, and then you might imagine just sort of an overall degradation to the capacity of an economy, even if it's not particularly targeting a military application, you might imagine that that's still going to impose costs on a government that they need to repair, and it would draw resources away from military options. Now, that's always a little bit hard uh, to talk about, like in the context of a, a limited war, uh, where, you know, Russia isn't right now devoting all of its capacity to war. So, you know, hypothetically, if we hurt their civilian economy, that's not going to directly translate into hurting the war machine. Although, of course, we can do whatever we can to kind of target the war machine. Okay, so that's argument number one for sanctions, is you kind of hurt the war machine of the country that you're targeting. Um, the second reason is, well, we know that countries benefit so, so much from international trade. And when you cut them off from that, their economies are going to become less productive and dynamic. Um, and the argument then is, is if you hurt sort of the productivity of an economy enough, that that'll hurt sort of the lives of the ordinary people. You know, usually we don't think about sanctions as actually hurting the elites all that much because they can always tax people. You know, they're not going to run out of iPads and food uh, in the in the in the uh, Kremlin. Um, but the argument is, is if you kind of hurt the ordinary people enough, that will lead to social pressures that will lead to sort of the destabilization of a regime. And then, you know, hopefully the regime, you know, quits while it's ahead and doesn't push things to that point. Uh, or there actually is a regime change. And then hopefully, you know, as this power implementing the sanctions, you get that new regime. Uh, you might also imagine that it just like forces the regime to make whatever concession you want. Uh, one of the few sort of successful examples of uh, sanctions being used in this way are uh, people point to South Africa and the apartheid sanctions. So there was a sort of a big international boycott of South Africa over various apartheid abuses. And then eventually South Africa sort of backed down and, you know, the sanctions came off. So that's like the success story. Um, but I don't think you see an awful lot of success with that second approach generally. So if we think about Iran and North Korea, you know, the West has sanctioned those countries pretty much, you know, and then Venezuela just, you know, right behind those. The West has sanctioned those countries a lot, and they've certainly successfully, you know, limited the development prospects of the ordinary people of those countries a lot. But you haven't actually destabilized the regime to the point where you get a regime change or they back down, right? Um, if anything, it seems to have entrenched regimes and sort of radicalized them further, uh, which is definitely a downside. But then again, you might appeal to the upside again, which is maybe North Korea and Iran would have much bigger war machines if you hadn't done these sort of general sanctions. Okay. So those are the kind of the two main arguments. And then maybe I'll add like a third sort of moral argument, which is that the world shouldn't just participate cooperatively with any nation or actor that's doing really bad things, right? You just might not want to participate in that. And then if you wanted to be a utilitarian about a rule like that, you might back up and say, well, um, you know, if we have this strict rule, then fewer countries will become evil autocratic invaders. And so by sticking to this rule, we're going to prevent this happening in the future. Okay. So that's sort of the logic of sanctions. Um, 
I think that the logic for, you know, military targeted sanctions is sort of overwhelming and obvious. I think the argument for sort of these general sanctions uh, in a lot of cases is mixed, but I think there's a pretty strong argument that if they're ever relevant, they're relevant in such an extreme case of what Russia is doing right now. So that's sort of the theoretical framework I'm talking coming to at this with. Um, and uh, in that context, uh, me and uh, my Boston University colleagues and my colleagues at the Guidor Institute uh, did a study of the very long interim impacts of sanctions on the Russian economy, assuming a couple of different variations on how those sanctions might work. And so some things that you might think about as being sort of relevant dimensions here, you know, are would uh, foreign investment in Russia be allowed to sort of stay there and get seized by the Russian government or would the Russians lose access to those foreign investments? Right. So, you know, foreigners invest in these companies in Russia. So we've heard a lot about, you know, the Renault uh, car manufacturing outside of Moscow. We've heard about the. 8,500 McDonald's all across the country. So these are businesses that are partly or fully owned by foreigners that were built in Russia and are, you know, part of that Russian GDP. So what happens if Putin is able to grab those and add that to his stockpile of factories versus they either get shut down or repatriated or destroyed? Um, another dimension that we decided we looked into is to what extent does Russia keep on being able to benefit from these um, fossil fuel exports, right? So that's been an ongoing topic of conversation these days is should Russia, should the West shut down its imports of Russian gas, Russian oil? Um, we also thought about dimensions like what is the extent of the long-term productivity hit from not being able to be connected to Western technologies, you know, maybe through the military blocking, is that going to block, um, you know, these dual use technologies that are also really important for developing your domestic economy? What could the impact of that be in the long term productivity uh, of the country? Uh, so those are kind of the dimensions we thought about. The modeling strategy we used was called a computable general equilibrium overlapping generations model. So that's a little bit of a mouthful, a CGE-OLG model. And uh, this is a model that's sort of really thinking about the very long run. So unlike a lot of analyses that you're seeing come out these days from, um, you know, Goldman Sachs and uh, the Russian government and, you know, other governments about like, this is what we think about the impact on the Russian economy is going to be next year. What our techniques were focused on are, you know, what happens if Russia gets cut off from the world economy for five years, 10 years, 20 years, rather than, you know, just immediate impacts, right? And, you know, um, you asked me kind of like, what are the factors that we think about when we think about sort of like short-term versus long-term impacts of sanctions? Well, in the context of Russia today, you know, we have some factors that are over time, making the impact of, so just to give you sort of a baseline projection, um, a lot of people are saying that Russia is going to face a GDP decrease of 10 to 15% this year. So um, the numbers close to like 10, 11% are what I've been hearing from my colleagues at the Guidar Institute who I've kind of remained in touch with. Um, I believe uh, the Goldman Sachs number were like literally negative 10 to negative 15%. Uh, some of the initial numbers were like negative 7%. So the numbers, the estimates have gotten bigger over time. Um, so that's kind of what the sort of the immediate impact people are estimating are, sort of that 10 to 15% of GDP range. Uh, 
Um, but like, do we think that that impact is going to be worse or uh, nullified in like the medium term? Well, on the one hand, uh, Russia has these big stockpiles of sort of raw materials and chips that they had been working on putting together in advance of this invasion. You know, they had built up these stockpiles. Uh, and so that's as those run out um, and maybe as the West gets better at shutting down on sort of ways that Russia has for getting around these sanctions. So, for example, um, doing stuff, imports through shell companies in third party countries like um, Kazakhstan, which is something that I've been hearing about going on. You know, if the West can get better at shutting those down, that might increase the effect. On the other hand, Russia might get better at using those workarounds. And then in the longer term, you start to see import substitution and Russia being able to sort of reinvest domestically and start to build out things that it no longer has access to from Western markets, right? And that's kind of more like a five, five, ten year story um, rather than sort of like the running out of stockpiles, which may be getting a little bit worse in the short term. So I know this wasn't directly answering your question, but when I think about sort of the factors that go into what are the dynamics of the effects of sanctions over time, those are the kind of things I'm thinking about. In our simulations, in uh, the simulation that I think is closest to what actually got realized, which involves Russia being able to grab uh, all of sort of foreign investment in Russia. So they're getting access to these, you know, car factories and McDonald's restaurants um, and that the trade in oil and natural gas does not get shut down. But there is going to be this important long-term productivity drag. We were estimating, you know, negative effects on Russian GDP of negative uh, 10% uh, to negative 15% in the medium term, with that kind of getting repaired over time. Um, and, you know, hits to welfare of, you know, middle-class uh, Russian Muscovites like my friends in the Gaidar Institute, uh, a decrease in lifetime welfare of around 16%. So Seth is discussing the scenario that is closest to what is actually happening today. Given that situation, he thinks that there can be a decrease in lifetime welfare for middle-class Russians of about 16%. That means the average Russian would have been worse off due to sanctions. Now, is that a measure of success? Or an unintended negative externality? Major world event after the other people's lives have been appended across the world. Although these are just scenarios and hypothetical situations, it is worth assessing the efficacy of such drastic measures. For our next episode, we chat more about some ideas that Seth has about where the sanctions should be targeted. To read about it today, check out the article he posted on waronTheRocks.com, titled, To Really Hurt Russia's Economy? Target investment in human capital, not gas. We'll link it in the show notes. We'll see you on the next episode. And as always, here at Things Have Changed, stay curious.